0: Good morning, it's good to have some of you here and it's good to have the rest of you connecting uh, by Zoom. I just trust that this morning we can honor the Lord as we've been called to do, that we can worship Him together and I know we've been doing that as, as Jana has been leading us and just pray that our hearts would be turned in the direction of the Lord. We, we read that psalm about the righteous and uh, we trust that we can be Those righteous people. And we know that's possible because of Christ. It talks there about the righteous being remembered, uh, a righteousness enduring. And we pray that we can be a testimony for the Lord in the world in these days. So let's take a moment, let's pray, let's get into God's Word. Another uh, interesting chapter and some interesting truths for us to be learning this morning. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to lift up your name. That is why we gather together. That is why we are a church. You, we have been called, uh, called to a special place with a special appointment to worship your name. And I just pray that through different avenues this morning, uh, we can come together. And that we can come together not only with one another, but with you That is, we're going to be celebrating communion this morning, and we trust that we will truly be communing with you. We know that's only possible because of Jesus Christ, because of your spirit in us. And so we just pray for your leading now as we look into your word. We pray that we would be able to effectively understand it, that we would come to you with hearts that are full of submission. We sang about that. Uh, Lord, recognizing, yes, we're sinful people, but because of Christ, we can come to you renewed, saved, healed, in right relationship and ready to listen. So just continue to work in us, work through us, Lord, and may we become people more and more that are effective in living out your glory in this world, in being your image bearers, in a place that for the most part has forgotten about you. So lead us, we pray this morning. Help your word to speak clearly to us as we look into it. We pray this in your son's name and with hearts full of joy because of who you are and what you've done for us. Amen. Well, last week, chapter 22 of Genesis, there was this unmistakably powerful picture of the cross. I mean, we could have said that we were celebrating Easter again last week just with that picture of Abraham going up onto the mountain to sacrifice Isaac and in the same area, probably the same mount, where thousands of years later, Jesus Christ. God the Father offered Jesus Christ as an offering of salvation for our sins. So yeah, there was a re-celebration of of Easter last week, and I was reminded again this morning that it's Orthodox Easter. The Orthodox Church, they celebrate Easter this Sunday. So we're we're right in step with the Orthodox Church, I guess, too. But then we move into this, uh, this next chapter, and it sort of follows the same line, this idea of sacrifice. Now we realize that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was, was two things. It was a sacrifice made for our salvation, but it was also the basis on which he calls us to serve him. And you know, we think about that. I remember there's that phrase, a gift in kind, you know, a gift with the same value. And you think about that. Christ gave his life for us. What is it that we're called to do? Paul says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul is begging us as believers in Christ to be completely given God, And then at the end of that verse, I like that phrase, it's like your reasonable service. There are a few different ways it could be translated. It is a logical sacrifice. It's the only thing that makes sense in terms of worship. If Jesus Christ gave his life for us, what are we going to give to him? A tie? What are we going to give to him? Some little trinket that's meaningless? No. The only thing that makes sense is that we give our lives back to him. And so we see that modeled in Abraham, in his calling, in his willingness to give Isaac. Now, of course, the Lord had a whole plan there so that Isaac would be saved. And a whole plan there so that we could be saved too. And we think about that. Man, what do we owe? A song came to mind, an older song that I remember being sung in church when I was grown up. And the, the verse is, is your are all on the altar of sacrifice laid. Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Everything. And you see in there, too, it's this idea of relationship with Christ. It's an idea of living in relationship with him. It's not a matter of oh, doing big things. It's a matter of living in relationship and seeing how he works through us. Now, that's chapter 22. But, you know, you move into chapter 23, really big contrast here. A big contrast in terms of the significance I said last week, oh, you guys have all heard a Sunday school lesson or heard this story of Abraham offering Isaac up on the altar. But how many of you heard a Sunday school lesson about the death and burial of Abraham's wife, Sarah? I did not think so. And if you did hear anything about it, you probably don't remember it. You know, we just think, well, that's, that's a whole different thing, and it wasn't a big deal. It's sort of like commonplace at the end of life. People pass away. They're buried. But you know what? There's some important stuff in here. And as I started out reading this chapter, I was sort of going, well, what do I do with this? Sarah dies. Abraham successfully negotiates a, a place for her to be buried what is it that we're supposed to learn here? But as I read it, and as I saw it, you know, Lord, how, how do you, what do you want us to, to learn from this? I saw a continuation of what we were talking about last week, of the sacrifice that was made in terms of Abraham being willing to say, okay, God, I'm gonna take that which I love, that which is so important to me, and I'm gonna offer it back to you we see that memorialized as we think about the life of sarah and so here we are going to study her life and or her death this chapter about her death and we understand that her passing you know her passing away it's not a big story like the the isaac on the altar story but there is something here for us to learn, there is something that can be pulled out in even the natural and commonplace events of our human story. Because you think about it, what is most of your life and my life made up of? Commonplace, normal, day after day sort of things, right? You know, it's hard to find things to take pictures of and post on Facebook, isn't it? Because most of the time, it's just normal life. But you know what? It's that normal life, the things that we don't post on Facebook and try and get people envious of those meals that we're eating or those exciting times that we're having. It's those normal things that are very significant in God's eyes. The way he lives through us and moves in the mundane sort of things of life. And that should transform our thinking. That should transform our relationship with God. And so, at the end of life, the drama of our daily decisions is up for consideration. We start to think about what do we do or what did we do with our life? It's up for consideration by us, ourselves, and by other people. The end of your life, other people are going to be going, what did they really do? Now you could say, well, that's not right, that's not fair, but it happens, doesn't it? And we do it. We start thinking about a person's life, and we start thinking, what was accomplished there? You're going to do it someday. I remember my day... Or one of my days when I was in a hospital in South America and, and things were marching in the wrong direction and I thought I was going to die. Well, they were telling us I was going to die. And that's when I started thinking, well, what did I do with my life? And you know, I was, I was concerned because I knew we can do a lot of things. We can accomplish things or think we've accomplished things. But really what it comes down to is our relationship with the Lord. If we're in Christ and if we're walking with Christ. Through the events of life. Knowing that it's him who's leading us. You know as I said at at a funeral. You know people consider what we've done. And a lot of times funerals are, are filled with cliches aren't they? And it doesn't matter who it is, they say the same sort of things. But you know, what is it that a person has accomplished in their life? What is it that they've done? Really, everybody preaches their own message at their own funeral. Did you know that? Because as people gather together... No matter what the eulogies are, no matter what the preacher says, people are thinking about that person, their life, and what they've done. Now, you could be saying, wow, this is a little bit morbid here. But isn't it better to think about it now? To think about life in terms of eternity? To think about life in terms of eternal values? Now. Well, we have time to do something about it. And so, here we are. This chapter is kind of like a tribute to Sarah. It's not a memorial. It's not a eulogy. But it's a tribute in a sense. Because we see what was important about Sarah. We see that she was important. And as I said, you know, we're, we're kind of celebrating. We celebrated Easter last week. We're here a week early and really... As I started to think about it and put this together, we're, we're a week early for Mother's Day. This is really going to be a Mother's Day message. Are you okay with that? We're a week early, but hey, mothers, this is good because it's going to get everybody tuned up for what they're going to do for you next Sunday to remember your life and, and what you've done for them as your family through the life. So we go into this chapter. It's kind of a tribute to Sarah. Uh, I could divide it into three parts Sarah's death, the deal, and the deed. Now that's kind of short, three words, three D's, kind of crass, but uh, you, you see it here in the titles that I've given you. The righteous are honored by their God, by their people, and by their accomplishments. And we'll see exactly what that means. They're honored by their God, by their people, and by their accomplishments. GPA. That's an American form of, uh, of, of grading, right? So, what's your GPA? You're going to go through this with me, and you're going to think at the end of this. You're going to go home and think about what's my GPA? How will I be honored by God, by other people? And by my accomplishments. So let's get into the chapter. Let's begin reading. Where it says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba. That is Hebron. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah. To weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead, and said to the Hittites, the people who lived in Canaan at the time, I'm a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I might bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs, None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham arose, bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zorah, that he might give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as a property for my burying place. Now really, as we go through this chapter, there's lots of honor shown in different ways to Sarah. And it's done by different people in different ways, but I've sort of chosen to focus on in each chapter, or in each paragraph, sorry, um, different focuses of honor. And the first one, the righteous are honored by their God. Sarah is honored by God. And you see, as we begin this chapter, what it says. This is at least two decades after the offering of Isaac, right? He was born when she was 90, and here it is. She's 127 years old. Now, the first thing we need to recognize is this. There is not one other lady in the Bible that we're told this is how old she was when she died. In fact, most of the men weren't told, oh, this is how old they are when they die. We're given details about this lady in such a way that we think, hey, she was important. She was important to God. God wanted to give As a proper understanding of who she was. And this lady is honored as the mother of the Lord's people. The chosen people. She played an important role. And one uh, author notes that she was mentioned twice more in God's word. Two different times. Once in Isaiah 51. And it says to people, you who pursue righteousness... Look at Abraham and Sarah. You want to think about being a righteous person in this world. This is the example that you should look to. You think about that. Whoops. You think about, what does that mean? I want to be righteous. I look at her. And you look back over her life. You consider what she did. And she sort of got hooked up with this guy who got called by God And we think about women and men and how they think about where they live and and moving and all the rest, and wow. She carried on, didn't she? She stuck right with him. She willingly left her country, her kindred, alongside of Abraham. Maybe even a bigger step for her, as we understand women right, which I'm never sure we quite do. But (laughs) there she was, willing to follow him. Willing to go through life. Willing to serve alongside. It's The mother of the, this, this nation that God was creating. In 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing about the conduct of a wife. About how a wife should be with her husband. And he mentions, look at Sarah. Look at this lady. Look how she lo- lived. Look how she respected her husband. Amazing, another situation where Sarah's lifted up as somebody to be emulated. Now I know any one of us could look back in her life and we could go through and we could say, yeah, but she failed here, but she made a mistake here, but she didn't say or do the right thing in this situation, but that's where we understand what this righteousness is. Because as we talk about people being righteous, too often we do it with a human understanding. We think, wow, that person is good. We remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, no one is good but God. Where does our righteousness come from? Our righteousness comes from God. If we're going to be righteous, it's through him. It's Christ in us. Christ's death that purchases our righteousness despite our sinfulness. And as I keep saying, if, you know, if God's story, if he continues to include us, there are going to be failures, faux pas, they're going to be sins. Because that's who we are. But we see this lady as someone who, over the course of her life, was willing to, to follow God, was willing to put her faith in God, was willing to trust in God. And she faced a lot of hardships, a lot greater hardships, I think, than, than we face. And we could say, no, her, 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 her life isn't like a movie script. The Bible isn't a glorified legend. It tells us exactly what happened in the people's lives the good and the bad and we can find comfort in this because we can say yeah I failed yeah I know I've sinned I know my heart I know the evil that is in there and yet in relationship with God because of Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross I can be a righteous person I can be involved in this relationship where I'm giving my life back to him. Will I always submit? Will I always walk in step? Unfortunately, no. But in Christ, I confess my sin. I confess honestly my failure. And I get back on track with living for him, with allowing Christ to live through me. And so this is what we see. As human beings, any righteousness that we have, any true righteousness, it's not our own, but it's Christ. And thank goodness that God is willing to live in us and through us. It's by His grace that we can be righteous. We say, well, that's kind of humbling. It's kind of humbling that we don't have our own goodness, that it's all His goodness, but isn't that where we're supposed to be? Isn't that what James says? James chapter four. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. It's not in a lifting up where we get the glory. It's he lifts us up so that we are able to serve him as we ought in incredible ways. Incredible ways. Where we're showing the character of Christ in our life. We should be amazed about that. But he's willing to use us we think about how that's noticed in this in this life sometimes you know and many times i think for the christian the things that people notice most about us we don't notice about ourselves because we're just trying to walk with the lord and we end up doing things inadvertently where people go wow look at that look at that sacrifice that should be happening in our lives where people are noting it, noticing us being loving, I mean that sort of love where we 're not getting back we 're just giving of ourselves, and that 's what's possible in Christ, and that will make an impact on the world. We think about that woman who went in and she sp- broke that that bottle of costly perfume on jesus' feet, and you know from her, for her, it was just the obvious response it was This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the guy God has sent to save us. I need to do this. And you know, I don't think she knew exactly why she was doing it. But she just did it. And it was Jesus who said later, she's anointing me for my burial. He was about to die. And Jesus also said this. He said, wherever the gospel is told... They're going to talk about this woman, about her sacrificial act. And here we are doing it again. We're talking about it because it was something that she was motivated to worship Christ and ends up doing something, a mundane, simple sort of act. And God says, She's going to be honored. Do we know her name? Are there any shrines up to this lady? Not that I know of, but God's honoring her. God honored what he did through her. God honored her willingness and submission to be used in that situation. God knows. And we think back to that psalm we read where three times it says the righteous will endure their righteous acts will endure they'll be remembered forever and we think you know who cares if people are honoring us that's not why we do what we do we do what we do to honor God and if God notices if we come to the end of this life and God notices that will be everything Remember those words in Matthew? The words Jesus said will be said to those who've served God, who've given their life to God. well done, good and faithful servant. God honors those who are righteous, those who give their life to righteousness, those who give their lives to him. And Sarah was one of these people. So God noted her especially, noted her death, noted throughout the scriptures as he inspired writers to write about her righteousness, her goodness, what she did for him in this life. The second paragraph, the righteous are honored by their people. Let's read through here. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. Remember Ephron, the guy who Abraham said, well, I'll buy his land. And Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went into the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron, In the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I might bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants of that time. Now first of all, I want to say when we talk about God being honored by their people or the, sorry, the righteous are honored by their people. When I say their people, I, I mean the people around the person. The people who know the person, the Hittites, they knew Abraham and Sarah. And they said, wow, you're a prince with God. You guys are blessed. You guys are special. And of course, the one who knew Sarah best was Abraham. And we see Abraham honoring Sarah all the way through this passage. He he mourns for her. He weeps. And then he enters into this, (laughs) this negotiation where he he goes in to honor her in the way that he takes care of her burial. Now, the Hittites, they're there, and they're sort of thinking, you know, this couple, we've been blessed to have them among us. They recognize that he was connected to God. And, you know, maybe they thought this is a great way to be further blessed. Abraham you can have any one of our tombs. You, you can bury Sarah in one of our tombs. And to them, that maybe sounded like an honorable thing or a good thing. But what do we see as Abraham moves into this strange sort of negotiation? We see him wanting to do things right. And he ends up paying the full price but what I first of all want us to understand here is what is going on in the negotiations here. First of all, he was still a stranger. Sarah and Abraham had not been able to purchase any land in this country. They were still like nomadic, shepherding, taking care of their, 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 their animals, and they were well-to-do, but they didn't have land. And some authors think that maybe when the Hittites were going, you know what, just put her in one of our tombs, they were maybe trying to block this foreigner, block this stranger from coming in and taking part of their land. But Abraham would have none of it. And what they were not able to accomplish in life, they ended up accomplishing With Sarah's death. What do I mean by that? Well. You think of God's promises to this couple. He promised them. That they would be blessed. And that they would be a blessing. We see that in the way the Hittites responded to them. You guys are. Man you're in with God. We want you to be here among us. They're getting residual blessing. They followed God. They wandered. They found the land. They had a child after a 25-year wait. They had the promised child. And God was beginning to build the nation. Maybe slowly, but he was beginning to build the nation that he promised. The last thing to be ticked off on the list of those promises was land. Not just being there, but ownership. And so in this moment, with Sarah having passed, Abraham wants a place for her to bury. not er, To bury her. Not just a tomb. Not just somewhere where he could say, oh, there she is. She's, she's, she's in the tomb. He says, I want control of where she's going to be buried. I want to have a piece of this land. And so he goes into these negotiations, these strange sort of negotiations where, you know, usually we do things differently here in North America, and it's funny when we get into a situation that is different in terms of the way people respond in a, in a, in a bargaining process. I remember when I was a younger man, I, I wanted to give something to a, a Korean gentleman and it was interesting because uh, he, had, he had a sweater with one of these suede fronts on it, and I had an aunt who gave me one, and I thought, you know, I'm never going to wear this thing. I, it's not my style. But I knew he had one already. He had a beige one, and this was a blue one. We were good friends. And I thought, man, this would be perfect. It would be like, it's, it's his style. He was an older man. It was perfect for him. And I went and I offered it to him, and he said, no, no. And, you know, I knew I was never going to wear this thing, so I insisted, I continued to insist. After asking him three times, he finally took it, and he wore it all the time. You know, I was scratching my head about this, like, if he wanted it, if he liked it, why didn't he take it? But then somebody told me later, in that culture, you always refuse first. No way, no, I couldn't, no, no, no way. And I thought, what if I had just sent Okay, (laughs) and walked away. He might have been hurt. Why didn't he insist? He mustn't have really wanted me to have it. But here we see this kind of negotiation going on where everybody's being super gracious. And we read it as North Americans and we go, wow. You know, probably we would have jumped at it. They said, oh, you can bury her in any one of our tombs. Okay. Or when he said, Ephron says, you know, Abraham says, I want to buy Ephron's land. And Ephron said, no, just take the land. We would have jumped in. I mean, we're Amer- North Americans. We're always looking for a good deal. That's why garage sales are such a big thing. We'd jump in there and go, okay, thank you, and offended the entire tribe. Because in that time, I, I, we're told as we read through the history of this time, there's this overly graciousness that isn't really the intention You know, sometimes in negotiations, when you're so gracious, you're trying to make the person feel indebted to you. And so there's this whole process where he says, "Oh no, just take the land, take it, it's yours, you can have it." That Abraham did what he was supposed to do. He did. He said, "Oh no, 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 I have to pay for it. How much is the land?" And then the guy starts in and he talks about these four hundred shekels of silver. We think about the cost of land today, and we go, wow, that sounds like a good deal. At the time, that was a big price. In fact, that was probably an overinflated price. And he was saying, here it is. Here's the price. And that would signal the beginning of this negotiation or bargaining where Abraham would say, well, no, here's what I want to pay or this sort of thing. But when he said, this is the price, the inflated price, Abraham, wanting to show full respect for his wife, said, no, there it is. There's the full price. I'm paying it. See, everybody? And there was no thought about, well, there Abraham goes, getting a good deal chiseling somebody down man he made his way among us he got a piece of land here bargaining and bartering taking advantage of us no full respect to sarah full respect to the lord he says here it is there's the price and so we look at that and we think man he esteemed her And he esteemed what was being accomplished through her in terms of them becoming actual residents in the land. I think about Proverbs 31, where it talks about the excellent wife, talks about her children rising up and calling her blessed, talks about her husband praising her. And really, this is what was going on here. Abraham was, was praising this lady. And thirdly, it says the righteous are honored by their accomplishments. And as we read down the last paragraph here, verse 17, it says, So the field of Ephron, the Machpelah, in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron. In the land of Canaan, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. And we say, what was accomplished through this woman's life? Well, what Abraham, as I said, was not able to complete on his own with regard to God's purposes in life, in Sarah's life, they were able to accomplish with her death. Really, this is God's doing. You know, they, they set out from Ur, they were following God. They they were doing what he wanted them to do. They experienced rich blessing of the Lord together through the ups and downs of life. They had their promised child. And here in this final event of her existence in this world, they claim a portion of this land that the Lord said to them would be theirs forever. This became the burial site for Abraham's family. We could go through the rest of Genesis and we could see that Abraham's buried there. Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. Leah's buried there, chapter 49. Jacob is buried there on that property. And we think more deferred fulfillment on God's part More waiting for God to come through with his promises. But you know, that's the way it is a lot of times with God. God has bigger plans than can be fulfilled in a day. He wants to show his glory over the period of time. And I thought back to those verses that Darren read at the end of uh, the service last week in Hebrews chapter 11. Where it says, when it's talking about all these faithful people, they died in faith. Not seeing the fulfillment of all that would take place. And as I look at this story, and as I look and consider this woman, I say, you know what? This is a story, but there's a person behind the story. And that person is Sarah. But it's not just the story, it's not just the person behind the story, it's the person behind the person in the story that we need to consider this morning. It's the Lord himself. And we need to consider that not simply when we think of Sarah and her life and this chapter that is a tribute to her part in God's story. But we need to consider the person behind the person when we think about our own part in God's story. What is He doing through you, through me, through us, as He continues to write His story? You see, in the end, there's much to be done for the Lord, but it's not our doing, it's His. There is a glorious life to be involved in here, but it's not for our glory. It's always about God. It's always about what he's doing. It's always about what Christ wants to do through us. And it's a different process than we're thinking. So many times we think, wow, that looks like a big deal or a big thing. We look back on people in in this life who've done something great for the Lord and we go, I want to do that. I want to produce that sort of fruit. I want to accomplish that sort of thing. Rather than going, the glory is God's and I just need to have a better relationship with Him. I need to love Him more and walk in faith with Him. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. It's not about us choosing what we want to do for God. We think about the people who have accomplished things for God, big things in this life, noteworthy things. It's not about them setting out to do that noteworthy thing. It's about them having a heart for God, about them loving him more than anything else. I was thinking about examples, and I, one that's been long forgotten was a man named C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd, was it Charles Theodore or something like that, he was an interesting man. He was an athlete, and he came from a rich family in England. And, I mean, he had fortune, he had fame. He was on the the English cricket team from the time he was young and, you know, he could have just coasted through the rest of life. But he turned his back on the fame, on the fortune of his family and he went off to be a missionary. Lived his life out, died a poor man on the mission field and he wrote a poem and one of the lines in that poem, you might have heard this line, was, Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And you think about that. It's not about the size of the thing, the noteworthy nature of what we're doing. But it's about the relationship with Christ. We can do simple things on a daily basis and they can be things that will never be noted by anybody. It might be just being a good mother. No, it is being a good mother. It's about being a good husband and being a good father. It's about going to work and, and doing our job in an honorable way with, in relationship with Christ. And if it's done for Christ, it will be noted. It will impact the world. It will bring glory to God. And so as I, as I go through this story of Sarah, and I think about what God did in and through her life, I'm challenged. I'm challenged about my willingness my obedience to follow him my obedience to li- or my willingness to live on a day day-to-day basis for him in relationship with him because it's that relationship that makes the difference it's his righteousness there will always be failures in our lives but they can always be forgiven And God can continue to build from the ashes of our failure sacred monuments for his glory. So we come away from this thinking, yes, the righteous are honored by God. The righteous are honored by their people. The righteous are honored through what God does In their lives. Are we walking. In communion with him. Are we growing. And knowing him better. Because that is the question. That needs to be answered. Positively. If he's going to get glory. Through our lives. Father we're thankful. We're thankful for the people. That you show us in your word. And and how you have worked with them how you've worked through them to accomplish your purposes. And Lord, we're we're just thankful that we know you. We're thankful that Christ has died on our behalf. That we can have a relationship with you based on his righteousness. And we pray, Lord, that we would be people who honor you. That we would do honorable things. Not that we would seek honor for ourselves. But we would seek your honor. And that in the end. Anything that is accomplished through our life. Would point to you. Not simply because of the nature of what we've done the project or the accomplishment itself, but because of the relationship we've had with you. May our lives be monuments that point directly to you and to what Christ has done through our lives. And Lord, with that in mind, we know it's only possible as we draw nearer to you, as we draw closer in right, a right relationship with you. Help us to know you better. Help us to submit before you. Help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength with all that we are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.